Chris? Is that you? I am not your Chris. I am a Chris from another world. Another world? A world in peril. A peril that will soon come to this earth. What can we do? There is only one thing. Talk about comics? Yes! I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. So this week on Chris's on Infinite Earths, we are continuing Crisis on Infinite Earths. So if you haven't listened to our last episode, uh, you probably want to go back and give that a listen so you're all caught up. Yep, this is part two. Mm-hmm. So we are on issue two of Crisis on Infinite Earths. So I was explaining this to some friends of mine um, who were asking how the podcast was going. And I said, well, we're covering Crisis. And they said, Chris's? And I'm like, no, 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 Crisis. Crisis on Infinite Earths. We're Chris's on Infinite Earths. I understand that that's confusing. <laughs> um, maybe maybe the people, I guess, that have not, have not read Crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they haven't. Because I've told some people and they're like, ah, that's awesome. Oh, I'm well. so excited. What's I've that? actually read that one. Right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> I think more people have read Crisis than Secret Wars. Ooh, that's probably a really bold take. I don't know if you've got, like, the the evidence there on your side. I don't. I don't think I do. <laughs> that was just, like, a bold, unsubstantiated claim. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that Crisis probably is more important for DC than Secret Wars was for Marvel. I think I can make that claim. I haven't finished it yet, so I will let you make that claim and not dispute it. Well, before I start making too many more bold claims, are you ready to start in on the summary? Summary! We start at the prehistoric era, as Anthro the caveman leads a herd of mammoths away from his people. While doing so, however, he sees a huge futuristic city after bashing his head. He thinks maybe he's just seeing things, but where did that vast herd of mammoth go? In the far future, we catch up with the true heroes of the story, the herd of mammoths, as they stampede through a strange future. The legion of superheroes attempt to corral them, but they disappear moments later. Brainiac 5 is on the case, however, and soon notices the doom that faces the entire universe. Back in contemporary Earth-1, Batman foils a plot by the Joker— only to have the Flash show up in terror before disintegrating before the caped crusader's eyes. Superman meets with Batman to discuss, only to be briefly interrupted by an appearing and disappearing pariah. Guy's got an M.O. The heroes on the Monitor satellite argue a bit about the mysterious figure's intentions before he sends them all on missions to protect towers and various points in history, while the darkly influenced Harbinger broods on her ultimate mission to destroy the Monitor. On Oa, the home base of the Green Lanterns, the Guardians of the Universe are threatened by a mysterious dark force before we meet Earth-2, Soups, Solovar, and Dawnstar in the apocalyptic future of Commandy, where they fend off those same shadowy figures from attacking a large golden tower. Harbinger finally finds Alexander Luther from Earth-3, who is definitely a few years older than a baby. Man, it really did take her a while. Another group consisting of Arian, Psychopirate, and Obsidian protect a similar golden tower in Arian's Atlantis before the untimely appearance of Pariah. Psychopirate steals Pariah's fear and uses it to attack Arian and Obsidian, who barely fend off Psychopirate's assault before he too disappears. It seems the shadowy evil of this entire comic has stolen him for henchman purposes. Pariah reveals that their Earth is totally going to die anyway, while the Monitor grapples with his momentous task, saving the universe, even though his ward Harbinger is quite likely to betray him. Issue 2 of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Let's start with the cover? Yeah, the cover has a bunch of people fighting. Uh, Yes, well, (laughs) it has mostly the heroes that we've previously met fighting some shadowy figure. Yeah, and this doesn't appear to be one of, like, the shadow creatures, necessarily. It's kind of big. It, like, is bigger than all of them. Yeah. 
So at first I thought maybe the shadowy figure was like really far in the, the foreground and that's why it looked so big. But we see like Firestorm even further in the foreground than the shadowy figure. And the shadowy figure is, is huge. It's massive. Yeah. Crisis has a lot of shadowy things. <laughs> yeah, we see in the background like a Statue of Liberty that looks like it's in disrepair. Yeah, so um, that's a commandy thing. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah, we'll, we'll get it. I'm, I'm just trying to paint the paint the picture. Oh, sure. Of the cover. Why is the Statue of Liberty in disrepair? You should be wondering if you're seeing this cover. I'm so confused. I should probably listen to Chris's on Infinite Earths to find out. <laughs> the first page after the cover here, we have very prehistoric looking scene with Anthro. Yep, human. Anthro just means human. Yep. And uh, he's he's a very, very much lesser known uh, comic book character in the, the DC universe, but... In here, we we see him riding on a mammoth. Yeah, and what does he he call? He doesn't call them mammoths. What does he call them? Um, serpent noses. Yeah, you know, because they've got trunks that look like snakes. So it's very. It seems very clear here that Anthro has seen um, a snake first and then a mammoth. If you saw a mammoth first, would you call a snake a mammoth nose? Maybe. I Maybe. like to. I like to think that. Yeah. That's. I. I. I kind of wish that he would. Just call them mammoths. So when I first saw this, I couldn't quite figure out what was happening. But it, Anthro is apparently trying to keep this stampeding herd of mammoths from crushing his village, his family. Yes. By riding on one and poking it with a spear to steer it in the direction he wants it to go. Yeah, and the rest of the mammoths are following this one. Yeah. It seems like a sound plan. Yeah, I think so. I think it's definitely as as good as a plan could get, really. So as this um, as this herd is uh, clearly approaching, it just seems like a crowd of people. It doesn't actually seem like an established like village of any sort. It seems I don't like know they why just they get out the way. It does. <laughs> it really does. Or move to higher ground. Like there's a lot of like outcroppings and rocks that they could climb or something. I don't know. Uh, But he's having problems steering the mammoths. Uh, So within this crowd of people who have very little clothing on, there is... They're cave people. Well, yes, but there is one woman in a a dress. It looks like from the rest of the crowd of the people, maybe the rest are just men. I don't know, because she's the only one that looks like she has a dress. Also, her dress is bright red. How in the past did she get a bright red dress? I don't know. But she's also very pregnant and very blonde. All things that seem implausible in this time period. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. The The rest of the crowd of people, they look, they look prehistoric. Yes. They, they got some serious bangs that don't quite make sense. Um, Anthro is the first Cro-Magnon boy. And all of his, um, all of his like ancestors were Neanderthals. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's like the story for Anthro. So that's why he looks like an actual human, and they kind of look a little more Neanderthal-y. But his wife is also Cro-Magnon. Mm. Yes, and um, her name is Embra. It doesn't seem like he's going to be successful steering this herd away, and um, it looks like uh, Anthro's dad is like, uh oh. Looks like your husband's going to fail to Anthro's wife. And his wife's like, hey, he is your son, too. And the father of your grandchild-to-be. Mm-hmm. And then Anthro succeeds, and his dad is like... Oh, look, I knew my son could do it. <laughs> right. And, and she... she's like, he's my husband, too. Right. She looks like a girl straight out of the 80s, though. It's like they drew, like, a modern 80s woman. Yes. She's got big old earrings. And her, a high ponytail. Very high ponytail. And, yeah. Just some very blonde hair. But we see a, we see another blondie here as well. Because uh, as Anthro steers away the herd, he steers them right into a tree, which he doesn't see coming because he's looking back at his family and celebrating. So he just gets smacked on the head and falls off the mammoth. Yes. He was very thrilled with his victory and just gets, well, just swaps and falls off a mammoth. And he kind of sees something. Yeah, well, not just something, like a whole lot of something, a, an entire city 
that to him looks incredibly strange and foreign. It looks futuristic even by our modern day standards. Right. But then as he calls his family and friends to come look at it, they all come and look and they don't see anything. But they also don't see the herd of mammoths. Yeah, which only this uh, one little, little blonde teen here seems to be like, but what happened to all the serpent noses? No, the serpent noses, where'd they go? Mm-hmm. And that's... Well, let me That's tell you where be they important. went. That's going to be important, yep. Marty, they went back to the future. <laughs> Can we say back to the future if they've never been there? We don't know the particular history of these mammoths. Maybe they've had a storied history of time travel. Okay. <laughs> so now uh, we, we do go to the future. Uh, Legion of Superheroes, kind of 30th century future. Yeah, they're searching for Dawnstar because all of these heroes that the Monitor summoned just disappeared without talking to anybody about where they were going. Yes, kind of in the same way that all the heroes in Secret Wars disappeared. Yeah, except we don't see people on Earth freaking out about them being missing. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the the Legion is kind of freaking out because their good pal Dawnstar is gone. Mm-hmm. So as they are searching for her, uh, we see the herd of mammoths, like in the middle of a city center. Right. And so the Legion is dispatched to sort of corral these mammoths because all of these future people kind of have no idea what's going on. Right. It looks like they they have this whole military lineup, which can I say, like the military garb in the future is something else. They look like bug people. They look like scuba divers out of water. They look a little bit like Ant-Man. Yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're about to just execute these mammoths with laser guns, but the Legion stops them mm-hmm. because they just they just want to get the the mammoths' attention and get them safely back to where they need to be, rather than just killing them. Right. So Colossal Boy gets huge as he does, mm-hmm. and uh, tries to pick the mammoths up. Yep. But then they just disappear. Yeah, kind of as soon as they appear, they're gone again. So you wonder where they wind up, but we don't really find out. There's going to be a comic that comes out this year, 2017, where a herd of mammoths just tramples by and people are going to be like, where are these I would from? love that so much. It would have to be, I, I can't, I don't know of a comic in the DC universe that would be silly enough to do that. Yeah, I don't, Harley Quinn maybe? There's The Harley Quinn comic's kind of silly. Mm-hmm. First I was like, oh, it'd be so great if it happened in Squirrel Girl. Oh, that would make it the absolute <laughs> best. <laughs> so while they're kind of confused about these mammoths, Brainiac 5 is sort of investigating via computer what's going on here. And his computers detect high-intensity frequency waves on the Alpha Omega scale, which is definitely a real scale that exists. <laughs> the beginning and the end scale. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, enough enough energy to destroy not only us, but the entire universe. Well, specifically antimatter energy. Mm-hmm. The, the, one, of the, one of the big things about Crisis on Infinite Earths is antimatter matter. Mm-hmm. That becomes more clear later. So one thing that I think is interesting about Crisis on Infinite Earths is that it refers to time as the present and does indicate the year being, you know, July 1985. And... I wonder, like, did they consider just making it like this is when it's, rather than saying the present, they could have just said, you know, Earth in July 1985 to make it, I don't know, slightly more eternal? Well, I don't think that DC is necessarily as concerned with that because of the way that they do their sort of continuity-wide reboots. Mm. It's like, sure, that did take place in 1985, why not? Well, no, that's not necessarily true, because... PC's confusing. I I can see why you would want to do it that way, but sometimes they like dating things to sort of make it seem a little more real. Well, no, I like the date, but I, I just wish they'd left out the present part. Oh, and just put mm-hmm. July 1985. Yeah. Well, I kind of like the context of, like, this is when it was written, this is what it represents. I guess that's true. Yeah. All right. So... We um, are back to Earth One, and we are in the stately mansion of millionaire Her- Harold J. Standish the Third. Yes, which has been uh, summer- summarily taken over by the Joker. It looks like poor old Harold has bit the dust. Yeah, he kind of his face is stuck in that jo- that really sickening Joker rictus grin. Mm-hmm. 
And I really enjoy this next, this whole bit coming up here with Joker and then Batman because I've not read, I guess, a lot of older Batman and I feel like... Or newer Batman. Or new, I'm some newer, but it's always just so dark. And I'm like, this is, I could read some, I could read more stuff like this. Well, uh, funny, funny, well, funnily enough, right after this came out was actually when Batman really started to get dark with the release of... Batman Year One. That's mm. and they kind of try to modernize it. Um, uh, I think you'd love Batman Year One, um, but not. It's it's different than this, but I think you'd love it for different reasons. Okay, um, listeners, um, readers, uh, chime in if you think that Christie should read Batman Year One since it's sitting on a bookshelf in the basement right now. <laughs> uh, all right, so. Uh, the Joker apparently has killed Harold because, or well, he just said, he, you know, you didn't have to die. I just wanted uh, the rights to those silent comedy films that you own. Yeah. Kind of strange. Yeah. Well, they're apparently worth some money, I guess. This is kind of an odd Joker to me in that he seems to have motives that make sense. Like stuff from, I mean, they're like, it's like a weird convoluted way, uh-huh. but in, in kind of the modern Joker era, he's, they, they always portray him as like a man without a motive, like a, a agent of chaos. And this is a little bit more of like a, of like a gangster Joker. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting cause, uh, Batman shows up and Joker's like, you, you deciphered my clue. And I'm like, why did the Joker leave a clue? They always leave clues. <laughs> And one of my favorite things in Batman comics is when you read it and Batman goes this, which relates to this, which is this thing, this thing, he's here. Which is something I kind of liked about it because he kind of had some connections here. I I just feel like I haven't read a lot of Batman as a detective, which I feel like is very much his origin. Mm-hmm. So The world's I, greatest detective. That's what he's supposed to be. And I just, I have not gotten to see him as that. That's so funny. I have I have a lot of those stories. Okay, well, I'll have to do some more reading because this this piqued my interest. I could enjoy stuff like this. No, Batman detective stories are my favorite. The the, the well, okay, so there was two times that Scott Snyder, one of the more recent um, authors of Batman, was here in our hometown of Kansas City. One time, I it, I had like a conflict, and you took my books up to have them signed, and it was very sweet of you. Mm-hmm. And you were like, "My husband said this," and he was like, "Oh, that's very nice of him." <laughs> But the one time where I actually got to talk with Scott Snyder, I just talked with him about how I loved the way he wrote Batman, which is more more detective. And I said, like, I love the Batman stories best when he's a detective. Right. And Scott was like, yeah, me too. That's, like, why I love to write him. And uh, so I agree with you. And that's why I love his Batman, which I also have all of. So if you want to read some of that. I guess I have some reading to do. Because to me, I I love when superheroes solve solve conflicts using their brains, not their brawn. Yeah. Um, I mean, pun- like, not that he doesn't have to use his brawn, but he, yeah, he's, he's literally using punching his brain the Joker a lot. as he's explaining it. <laughs> well, we got off on a bit of a tangent, but uh, I mean, I'm not sure if the clues are necessarily super, is super important, but it was that he left. Like, yeah. He just, he left some convoluted clues and Batman placed it all together and it makes it sound like it's really easy when to the reader, it's like, Oh, Okay. It was like a Miles Standish thing, and oh, this is where his ancestor was buried, so I figured out you were here. Uh, and Joker... And then, yeah, Joker sprays him with some sticky goo. Yeah, and, and Batman is about to get out of it. And he says, like, you know, just another second and I'll reach the solvent in my belt, because Batman has everything in his belt. Uh-huh. And is uh, ready to get the Joker, when suddenly Barry Allen the Flash appears. Yeah, not looking good. He kind of looks like... You know, the Wizard of Oz when the witch is, like, melting. Right. He's covered in Kirby dots. He's got this sort of dot... He's, like, he's like leaking radiation or something, almost. Yeah. It's very strange. And Batman's like, oh, but the Flash disappeared. And, of course, we have a little asterisk to see the Flash, number 350, for details. Which we did not read. No. Uh, I guess the Flash had disappeared in it. Yes. Uh, and, and Joker thinks it's unfair because only the Batman has jurisdiction in Gotham City. Right. And he tries to shoot the Flash. Mm-hmm. But Batman stops him with his battering. Yep. <laughs> I did the hand motion. She did a battering hand motion. It was pretty good. <laughs> it was kind of a casual batteringing. Just a little. You know, you battering a couple, like, just on the weekends. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have my own set. I just borrow from friends. <laughs> 
It's like a, it's it's like frisbee golf, you know. Yeah. Just a, you know, let's just go out to the green and have a little batteringing. Um, and then the Joker's, uh, you know, he's 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 been got. Batman's gonna take him back to Arkham, uh, which is funny. Batman's still carrying on this conversation with the Joker on and off as the Flash is like melting in front of him. Mm-hmm. And uh, how our Batman gets momentarily distracted by the Flash, and Joker kind of takes off. Yeah. Yep. Of course, because <laughs> I, th- I mean that makes that makes actual sense. A lot of times, villains do things that don't make much sense, but escaping when you have the chance—that's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. So Batman's trying to ask the Flash where he is. So it appears that he's almost more of like a hologram than an actual physical being here. Right. And Batman maybe thinks the Joker did something mm-hmm. and that it was like his, his like decoy to escape. But Barry says something about Iris, his, his late wife. Mm-hmm. And Batman's like, okay, this isn't, this isn't a trick. Right. Because the Joker doesn't know about Iris. Right. And so Batman's like, where are you? I can help. I can help. And he's like, the world is dying. Yeah. Everything's dying. And then the flash like disintegrates into skeleton and then dust. Mm-hmm. And Batman's just very confused and says, Dear God, what is happening? And that's where we lead into DC Comics Proudly Presents Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, so all of that just kind of seems like a prelude to the actual crisis. So I'm gonna right. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say pretty much most of the humor in this comic happened in that little prelude. Yes. Uh, it's pretty serious from here on out. Yeah. Yeah. Readers, if you've learned anything about me, you know that I enjoy humor in my comics. So the the, the lack of, thereof was, was a little hard. A little hard for me. Right. Now, time and time again, the, the title of this issue starts... Well, starts... The, the lead-in here starts with a roll call panel of all the people that the monitor mm-hmm. has called up. Now, one thing that I like about this roll call as, a paired, or as opposed to Secret Wars roll call is in Secret Wars, it was like actually like the characters naming off who all is here. Mm-hmm. And this, we just have little titles over each, each of the characters as they're, they're standing there in a panel. That, that seems a little bit more realistic and palatable than, all right, let's talk about who's here. Right. So everybody's still a little confused as to why um, the monitor summoned them there. But now he's going to give them the skinny. Mm-hmm. Dr. Polaris does point out that he, uh, the monitor's been supplying weapons to other supervillains. Yeah, which is kind of strange. Mm-hmm. I guess apparently there's been lead up to Crisis on Infinite Earths and other books with this, like, with the monitor, like, mysteriously providing supervillains weapons which doesn't seem to make sense in that we thought you know kind of coming in you think okay maybe this guy's supposed to be somewhat heroic but why would he be supplying weapons so we've got some intrigue here right so he kind of ignores dr polaris's question for the moment and says that over a thousand universes have perished and the last one being earth three mm-hmm um, by this by this antimatter force, which yeah. just annihilates dimensions. Mm-hmm. He's like, they, first it starts with natural disasters, and then just antimatter. Right. And we we get um, now we have firestorm. Like, hey, hey, hey! You can't skip over this question. You've been supplying weapons. Right. Do- and he calls Doctor Polaris antler head, which that's fair. He has, yeah, he has antler helmet, head. helmet is weird. It's kind of galactic It is. It yeah. is. Um, so he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll explain everything, but I'm pooped. And Simon is just like outraged. No, you turned down my request for weapons. <laughs> Simon's just mad that he didn't give him weapons. Yeah. He's not mad that other, you know, superheroes got it. Just that he was excluded. Right. Where... And the reason why the monitor didn't give him weapons is because his plan would have endangered people that he needed. Mm-hmm. So it definitely gives the monitor a very, I don't know, kind of utilitarian. Is that the right word He here? seems like a pragmatist. Yeah. Yeah, like he is not above being a little gray when the situation calls for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I think that that was introduced fairly, um, fairly early on by Lila, who is basically like, you like kept me against my will here and like made me do all this 
Like, because she, she said, like, I'm not a slave anymore, remember? Yeah. Very early on. Well, I, I don't think, like, like I don't know if it's just the way that, that it's, well, I don't know. It seems kind of like, okay, is this, she, like, a daughter figure here, or is she... Like a servant. Yeah. It, it's and, tough to tell what that whole relationship is. Right. But Lila right now does seem to feel for him as he seems very weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she she seems very... She's not in her harbinger form right now. She's just in a pink, tassely dress in her Lila form. Right. And um, she kind of walks off, but is is internally battling that that kind of feeling of, of, of hatred toward him, mm-hmm. which was um, brought up by the shadow figure sort of infecting one of her, her duplicates. Yeah, yeah. Or perhaps was there all along? Mm, a little unclear to me, but yeah, I think is more. I think it was more brought on by the sh- the the shadow figure infecting her. Mm-hmm. So Superman kind of gets the last word here, right? And... Now, reminder: this is Earth Two Superman, so the Elder Superman. Yes, yes, he's got he's got the salt and pepper with the gray at the temples, and yes. Otherwise, mm-hmm. though, he looks like literally a ident- well. The S is a little different. Oh yeah, it is just ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, I've heard of this. This monitor, too, even though my telescopic vision never detected his satellite. I suggest we hear him out, because if he's telling the truth, it could help save our world. And if he's not, well, there's no force that could defeat all of us superheroes together. Right. And he's saying, like, I am more powerful the more positive... I'm sorry, he being the monitor says that he's more powerful the the more positive energy that exists, the more positive matter. So as the antimatter destroys universes, it in turn makes him weaker. Right. So um, that's why he needs their help. Mm-hmm. And Solovar points out, hey, there's probably better heroes than us, right? Why are we the ones that you're choosing? So that makes me kind of not trust you because it, this doesn't seem like we're all the best of the best. Right. And a lot of, I don't know, a lot of just doubt and confusion. Green For- Lantern's like, well, my ring would have let me know if he's lying. Right. And uh, Firebrand uh, apparently just really didn't let anybody know that she was very terribly confused until this moment where she was like, I don't know any of you. And Obsidian's like, yeah, we're from different Earths. And different time periods. Like, nobody's had this conversation with her. I mean, granted, she was just kind of flying around ignoring. (laughs) She's like, what's going on? (laughs) So she's just a little bit clueless here. Right. Um, The Monitor does say that he picked them out specifically for their abilities but they're his initial force and that if necessary he'll get more as as time or the need arises right <laughs> dr polaris then suggests that they rush him meaning like attack him i just yeah dr polaris is kind of my favorite <laughs> he refers to himself in the third person he is a doofy helmet he makes lots of accusations we love our silly villains yes so we kind of have somewhat of an idea of Monitor reveals maybe a little bit of why he supplied weapons to supervillains because he says he's that he's tested each of them and pitted them against each other to catalog their abilities. Yes. So perhaps he instigated and supplied these villains to just t- kind of test the heroes, like get, have an audition process. It seems kind of tenuous. <laughs> No, he's like, morality really isn't part of this. We just want to stop the universes from being obliterated. Yeah, like I said, he's kind of a Shades of Grey guy. Mm-hmm. But it seems like people are ready to believe him. But, uh, when Harbinger shows up, meaning I guess Lila just comes back as Harbinger. Mm-hmm. Now, what cracks me up here is Dawnstar says, So there you are, Harbinger. I was wondering when you'd show up. Do they not know that Lila's Harbinger? <laughs> is that not obvious? Well, she's a very different outfit. Oh my gosh, is really, are we going to go with the, well, when superheroes are wearing different clothing, it's really hard to tell who they really are. Christy, she took off her glasses. She's practically a different person. I never realized how beautiful you were before. Uh, So then Harbinger says that they're going to need to split up and go to five crucial eras where the Monitor has planted certain powerful devices that are powerful enough to halt the antimatter tide. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Arian's kind of, like, got his 
reservations about her. There seems like there's some sort of darkness in her. I trust the monitor, but I don't trust the one who serves him. Yep. Is Orion just a raging misogynist? <laughs> I mean, we do know that there is darkness inside of her. He's yeah, just... I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's just a wizard. He is. Just, he's just he's just a wizard man from 40,000 years ago or whatever. Hmm. I need to read some more of these older DC comics uh, where it's like, this guy lives in Atlantis and he's a king from 40,000 years ago and there's ice. <laughs> I don't know. Arian kind of seems like like he, he could be a little bit of the Thor of the DC universe. Uh, yeah. He's not strong. No. But he he just has that the... same sort of flavor where he has the random exclamations with mythological characters. See, and... I thought of, of him as a bit of like a melding between Thor and Doctor Strange. Oh, yes. Thank uh, you. Uh-huh. You I've, nailed it. I've, I so much appreciate that. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> All right. So um, Harbinger sends them to their various eras. Mm-hmm. And then weeps about betraying the monitor right but even though you have been my father and more i now betray you bum 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 and then we see uh oa yeah oa the the um the planet i think it's the planet at the center of the galaxy that's the home to the little blue guys right in the very center of the universe right yeah the guardians of the universe yep they uh they have no um humility when it comes to what they decided to name themselves. <laughs> um the Guardians of the Universe are kind of these crotchety old old men, tiny blue guys. They look identical. Yeah, they don't have a lot of individuality, I think, until later. Mm-hmm. And the that big lantern that's by them is the central Green Lantern battery, which provides power to all of the Green Lantern's rings. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys don't know Green Lantern at all, because I guess we didn't really explain the concept of Green Lanterns, they're kind of like space cops, and they get their powers from this from this giant lantern, and it manifests in little green rings that are around their their fingers. You know, you know mm-hmm. that's where you put rings. And they patrol areas of space, and they can do things with their ring that are like like they think about something and can make it out of their with like with their ring. Mm-hmm. They kind of they so they kind of have whatever powers they kind of uh-huh. want, and they can also fly because nearly all of the superheroes in well, the DC universe fly can it. fly. Yeah, they just go ring fly, and they're just yeah. going for it. Um, they have to recharge their their power ring though, and say an oath. Um, which, if you ask my father, he knows by heart. <laughs> I know it by heart, too. All right. Um, the the lantern kind of, like, explodes out with power as the the mm-hmm. guardians... Um, they, they're sort of talking about that they've been able to detect whatever's coming as well. Right. And they hear this voice. No, guardians, it is too late. You shall no more summon your soldiers... Then prove a threat to my plans. What began began with you so many centuries ago ends with you now. Yeah, and then it blasts them, and they it doesn't like. Well, I don't think it, it doesn't kills seem them. like it's antimatter. It just seems no. like they're blasted off of their planet, or I don't know, some sort of explosion happens. I think they all just fall over. I think they're still on solid ground. Oh, it's, it's not very clear from the artwork, no, and then we is... don't see anything else. Right, and th- that's literally the last we hear about them in this entire issue. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think the coloring makes it a little confusing. But they're standing kind of below it in the previous panel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, far be it for me to criticize George Perez, who is, like, one of the greatest pencilers of all time. And I don't really think this is necessarily his fault. They are cramming a lot on one page. Mm-hmm. So, next page we see Superman, Earth-1 Superman in Metropolis, mm-hmm. flying I guess to meet Batman who's come to Metropolis to meet Superman. Right. I think Bat- Batman is is freaked out about uh, this whole Flash thing. Right. And Superman casually mentions that he there was a volcanic eruption in the middle of the Mediterranean, which what is what are the first signs that your universe is about to be destroyed by antimatter? Your microwave stops working. Maybe. But mail doesn't come on time. <laughs> well, that never happens. <laughs> Our universe is always ending. Oh. Uh, natural disasters. Natural I'm disasters. Sorry. I was I was being cheeky. Mm-hmm. 
and I was I was actually saying that the mail always does come on time because you know rain snow or or shine yeah the shine's the hard part yeah I mean if you were, if you were a mail person um a, a postal worker that would be the hardest for you to deliver on sunny days you just I fall out. asleep driving when it's sunny. When I'm driving, like, on the highway, not, like, general errands. She gets sleepy. She's never fallen asleep at the wheel. No. No, because I know my limits. <laughs> Your sun limits. <laughs> I've taken in too much sun. I'm about to fall asleep. Um, so they meet, and the... the I, I do, like, they skip, and they just say, and after Batman's explanation, where Batman Thank just God. goes, here's something with the Flash, but you know. Suddenly, Pariah shows up. Yeah, you know, that... Pink-haired, purple-haired. Purple. I think we agreed on lavender as the specific shade. Yeah, the lavender-haired guy with the green outfit shows up and says, I'm called Pariah. Your legends reached my world long before my exile. Everything's dying. No, 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 come back. I'm going to disappear. Bye. He doesn't quite say it like that. Right. So that just kind of lends to their fear, because, like, gosh... The Flash also just kind of showed up and disappeared and said that the Earth was dying. And now this guy, like, there must be something going on. Right. This is a fun issue because it's just Batman being confused a lot, which Mm -hmm. is really rare for Batman. He's like, what the heck? What the heck? I'm the world's greatest detective. I'm the world's greatest detective. (laughs) Do you think Batman drinks out of a mug that says world's greatest detective? Well, he doesn't get one that says world's best dad. (gasps) You're so mean. <laughs> he is a dad later. Not now. Yeah, I I still don't know if I'd call him the world's best dad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that maybe it was a little hard. Well, the, Batman does take all of his, like, wards and is like, we're going to fight crime. I'm 13. It's fine. We're <laughs> putting you in harm's way in a bright colored outfit. <laughs> I love Batman, but... Eh. So now we get this really cool panel um, of this gigantic golden tower. That looks a little bit like the monitor's helmet with the little antlers coming off the side. Yeah, kind of. You mean Dr. Polaris' helmet? Oh, no, the monitor has a helmet with antlers, too. Yeah. Reed's got these weird antlered helmets. What What purpose does that serve? I don't know. But it also says the Great Disaster. Right. This is the time period of Commandy, who is a boy from the future. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if Commandy was originally supposed to be in the mainstream DC universe. Commandy was um, created by Jack Kirby mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. he joined DC. Yep, in the seventies. Yeah, had a had a had a decent run. Yeah, 70s. I think it's a couple omnibi worth of comics like that seventy two to seventy eight. Yeah, which I would really I would really enjoy because that Jack Kirby art. It's just Jack Kirby going wild. Um, the whole deal with Commandy is he's like the last boy. Uh-huh. So there's no other humans. They basically wanted to have a Planet of the Apes comic, and well, it's not. It's just lots of different anthropomorphic animals, right? There's but like... this was their this is their answer to that. Well, we can't do Planet of the Apes, so right. There's even like a, a Statue of Liberty that's kind of looks a little wrecked, kind of harkening back to the cover of this mm-hmm. issue. And Commandy is climbing this tower because he's wondering what the heck it is because it just showed up out of nowhere, right? And on this page, we have some explanation of Commandy's world, where we basically find out the world is ruled by animals, and humans are, like, nearly ex- annihilated and extinct. I'm fairly certain he, like, one of the, the hooks of Commandy is that he's, like, it. But he can't be the only one, because this is still in D.C., and eventually we get, like, right more humans. It's This is kind of a fascinating concept in that, and I, I think a lot of sci-fi universes do this, too. There's, like, mm-hmm. modern day, far future of, like, aliens and crazy stuff. And in between, like, post-apocalypse. And somehow we just claw our way back really quickly. Star Trek does this. Like, there's a World War Three, And then, like, a few years later, they're like, warp drive. <laughs> hmm. So Commandy is, is uh, climbing the machine when one of the shadow figures comes diving out of the machine and kind of cuts off the rope that he was climbing right and he starts to fall but then superman catches him with a kind of a winning smile Mm-hmm. and commandy's like aghast that, that it's superman because apparently in my brief skimming of commandy's like universe there are some of the animals that worship a superman su- suit oh but it this superman does say you must have met my earth one counterpart which right. might, might be might be I don't know enough about 
I don't know how quickly Commandy was integrated into the other um, DC. I mean, by now he's like firmly within it. Like I've read, um, there's a comic that we'll probably cover later called Final Crisis that Commandy's in as well. Mm-hmm. And so we've got Superman here, and then we've got uh, Salovar, and of course Commandy seeing Salovar, you know, being a talking gorilla. He's like, oh no. Yeah, because I think the. Gr- I don't know if all the gorillas are, but at least a lot of the gorillas he knows are, like, bad guys. Like this guy, Sar Simeon. Um, mm-hmm. And Commandy says, oh, your eyes are different from the other animals. Warmer, more trusting. <laughs> right. Right. Kind, kind of hokey. Yeah, it's sounding, silly. But, yeah. Uh, then suddenly there's more shadows. So, unlike the, t- the last time we saw the shadows, where it seemed like they were in all different forms... These all seem to look identical. Right. And they are appear to be shadows of the monitor. Yes, is what the heroes say. Which is kind of strange. Mm-hmm. I'd kind of forgotten about this bit from when I read Crisis, and I'm a little confused about it. But I guess we'll discover a little more as we keep reading. I guess so. Uh, and Dawnstar is also there, uh, taking on the shadow people. So it seems like... The heroes were kind of, and villains were hit split into groups of three mm-hmm. or so to uh, guard the these five towers. Right. So they chase off the shadows, but the shadows don't disappear. They literally just kind of run away. And Dawnstar really wants to go track them. Right. But as Solovar points out, hey, we were sent here to guard this thing, not to go track down shadows and leave it to get attacked again. And it's like, this is actually really sound. I feel like a lot of heroes would have just followed the shadow people and just not thought about the consequences there. I like Salivar's logic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, not too far away from this tower is one of uh, Harbinger's duplicates who says, let them protect the machine. It will serve those fools no good. Their efforts will be rewarded with death. So I guess this is one of the sort of evil <laughs> taken over duplicates of Harbinger. Right. And, and then we see... I guess another duplicate where I'm assuming that these are duplicates and not the same one since we know as Harbinger, she duplicates herself. I think that's fair to assume. Mm -hmm. And we see her walking into um, what was that abandoned uh, space station of the Justice League. Right. And this is where Alexander Luther's little um, dimension ship has landed. The Mm -hmm. Alexander Luther from Earth 3, who was a little baby who was launched from his doomed planet, very Superman-esque. Right. And as Harbinger walks in, she does not find a baby. No, he definitely looks like kind of like like a a four or five year old. Yeah. Who just kind of looks a little confused. Probably because he hasn't had anything to eat. How did he grow so much? You know, questions that need to be answered. Because the end of last issue or the last time we saw him in last issue, he was apparently soundly sleeping in his device. And now he's just sitting up in a glass enclosure, several years older, looking baffled. Right. Lila's all, or Harbinger's also looking baffled. And I looked baffled when I read this as well. I had the same look as both of them. It was kind of a... <laughs> oh. And that's the last we're going to see of Alexander Luther forever. No, just in this issue. So then uh, we see Atlantis. We see the same sort of structure we had just seen um, in Commandy's time. And uh, we see here uh, Arian, of course, went back to Atlantis and Obsidian and... Uh, Psycho Pirate. Man, how many houses did this device displace to just show up there in Atlantis? Right. It's it's right right in the middle. middle. Yeah. (laughs) Ryan's like, oh, fancy that. It's in my city. But he's never like, oh my god, that's where the casino was. The casino? Yeah, Orion runs a really kicking casino. Okay. I'll never be able to convince you of these things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they're kind of on the hike back to the tower... And Psycho Pirate's getting all excited about all these people with all these emotions. Yeah. And it's like, cool it. It's pretty clear that Psycho Pirate has, even though he's agreed to help Harbinger, is really having some struggles. With... Well, right. He was nervous about his Medusa mask to begin with. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't right. understand. When, once I, we talked about is like Pringles. Once he starts, he can't stop. Right. And now since he's reunited with this mask, that he's kind of codependent with it. Mm-hmm. So, Arian and Obsidian go in to greet the people who've got all sorts of questions about what's going on. Hey, you disappeared. Uh, But Psycho Pirate kind of stayed on the outskirts of town Mm -hmm. when suddenly... Pariah appears again. Mm Mm-hmm. Not a duplicate. 
No. It's just always pariah. This poor guy is flitting between realities and times like crazy. I, he must be going nuts. He probably hasn't even had time to like take a decent bathroom break. I know. I just imagine Orion like showing up next to like a burger or not Orion. Pariah showing next to like a burger place and he's like, I haven't had anything to eat all day. Oh my god, I need a burger also your plant's gonna die. Bye. Consuming a burger as the antimatter consumes it from the other end. Because no. <laughs> it never consumes him, but if it consumed his burger, that's rough. So Pariah is demanding to know where he's at and he's like, Atlantis, oh no. Um and a psycho pirate's like, hey, you seem like you got a lot of strong emotions here. Yeah, because he's very afraid. And I, I need those feelings. And he tells him to lighten up and laugh, and he takes off his mask. Yeah, so in, in this, it seems like he takes off his mask, and whatever he's ex- expression he's making is what they're going mm-hmm. gonna to do. And then kind of very Joker-like, um, poor pariah just starts laughing and says no you don't know what you're doing stop it stop it but he's like cracking up but orion finds him and seems to blast pariah with some sort of magic i'm mm-hmm. not pariah he seems to blast psycho pirate with some kind of magic right um and psycho pirate's like hey you shouldn't have done that absorbing purple hair's emotions increased my strength so this solidifies that there he definitely has purple hair uh, well, I don't know if Psycho Pirate is a really reliable narrator. Okay, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. He's purple hair. Okay, thank you. All right, readers, you heard it here first. Purple hair. So, Psycho Pirate declares that they need a healthy dose of terror, and begins to inflict terror on all the Atlanteans. Like all of them. Uh-huh. Psycho Pirate is insanely powerful. Seems that way. Right, but Orion is going to fight them with his magic as he shouts, Deidre's chain, protect me! Mm-hmm, but he doesn't seem to quite uh, be doing the trick. He's still starting to feel the terror, so Obsidian turns into his shadow form and encircles Orion, so Orion can't actually see Psycho Pirate and isn't affected by him. Right, because you have to see his facial expressions. Which makes you just think, why don't you just look away? Or, like, close your eyes? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Maybe he has to have his eyes open to do magic. I don't know. It's, Psycho Pirate, you just close your eyes, run up, and punch it. Mm. So suddenly, Psycho Pirate is like teleported away. There's a beam of red light that comes down on him, and suddenly, right. poof, he's gone. Yep, and that's just kind of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, "Well, it doesn't seem like he planned to disappear, but he's gone." Right, and Psycho Pirate's kind of in this like black void, talking to this voice, um, who is like, "Hey, I need you," and he's like, "Hey, show your face." Dude's like. And the voice is like, uh, well, I think we should actually read the lines here. I think, I think we this should. Exchange is, do you want to be the voice or do you want to be Psycho Pirate? I'll be Psycho Pirate. Okay. Okay. What happened? Where am I? Psycho Pirate, I need you. Your voice, it's like ice. But I don't need you. And I don't even want you. Show me your face and I'll teach you the meaning of terror. Fool, you would want a face without one of your own. And with that, Psycho Pirate's face disappears. You want to scream, don't you? Well, fool, you cannot, not without a mouth, and you will die without an outlet for your emotions. If you wish to live, let me know. But to live, you must serve me as I demand. Your answer, now! Oh lord, yes, I'll do anything, but please don't ever do that again. Without a way of expressing them, the emotion sealed inside me would have destroyed me. I'll do as you demand. Um, I think that not having a face and not being able to breathe would probably kill you far before your lack of emotions would. It sounds a little bit like my middle schoolers, just like, without a way of expressing my emotions. (laughs) (laughs) I will be destroyed. Oh, teens. So the monitor seems to know, all right, we've lost Psycho Pirate. Right. And, um... Harbinger's like, well, he couldn't have been that important. But apparently Harbinger needed him, like, more than Obsidian or Orion. and The, the Monitor. The Monitor, mm-hmm. yep. And, um, which, they, they were pretty powerful, so for whatever reason, he really needed Psycho Pirate. Mm-hmm. Um, and Harbinger asks about the empath called Raven. Raven's a teen titan. And she's... He can't find her for she, whatever yeah, reason. she's gone. 
So. Right. So he is going to have to get the new Dr. Light. Dr. Light was a supervillain who had light-based powers. That seems to make sense. That follows. Yeah. The new Dr. Light, I think, is maybe... Well, we'll meet her in a bit, but I think she's maybe supposed to be more of a hero. Uh, Back at Atlantis, uh, we see Arian and Obsidian talking to Pariah. Like, hey, dude, where where are you from? And he seems to be from the first Earth that that got destroyed by this whole um, crisis. Yes. And he explains the disaster that he witnesses. Right. And the reason why he's pariah is he has to witness each and every one of them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if I'm here, it means your Earth is going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but no, the, the monitor said if we, if we did this thing that we'd be okay. Pariah's like, sorry, I can only tell you what I know. Which is, you're all going to die very soon because antimatter is going to come in and sweep through the universe. And uh, Obsidian claims, well, then this means that the Monitor lied. Mm-hmm. And then they they all look up and seem to see, um, I guess we see this white, I'm, I guess it's the antimatter. Well, that's, we would that's the color it was We would assume, the last one. Yeah. yeah. But it just looks like, because their sky is like, a, when they're looking up, it's pink here, for whatever reason. It's blue in all the other panels, but in these panels where they're looking up, it's pink. And we see some white antimatter um, coming. We go back to the Monitor satellite. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he he senses this. Oh no! Like we see on his mon- the monitor's monitor, mm-hmm. the antimatter coming for that Earth. Right, and you can even yeah, you can even little, see it in the little screen. He says that all t- all too or all too soon now I will be killed or will die or be killed unless unless unless. And then we have this voice, maybe the same voice. Uh, that was talking to Psycho Pirate, we would presume. It's, it has the same, like, white text on, like, a black speech bubble. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's what the inference is there. And the voice is talking to the har- uh, talking to Harbinger. Right. And the Harbinger... Uh, so maybe we need to do this one as well. I think this is, mm-hmm. this is, this is the end of the comic. All right. Are you going to be Harbinger? Yeah, I can be Harbinger. I'll continue my role as the voice. Yeah. Harbinger. Speak to me now. The Monitor has implemented his plans. Although not all warriors are in place, most stand ready. The Monitor will fail, as he has always failed to stop me. I steal his strength and mine grows stronger. His champions are doomed as I pit one against the other. Now go! There is work to be done! As always, he proves the incompetent fool for not accepting the inevitable. When I am done, all his universes shall be destroyed, while mine shall rule supreme. Universe after universe has fallen before my power. World after world is absorbed into one. How many worlds do I now control? How many lives are now mine? And then we get the Harbinger who talks about that even though he raised Lila from childhood, he knew how it would end, and that he his, all that he was trying to do was instill in her hope, and that he hopes that she can find that hope, since they only have a short amount of time left. And that he is he's sort of beseeching her to resist the temptations um, so that they can all defeat this evil together. Mm-hmm. Now, it's worth noting that the voice, we wind up seeing a shadowy figure uh, attached to that voice. Right. Who Harbinger's with. Because at first I thought, okay, this is just a different view of the monitor, but the text bubble seemed to be coming from him. We have a shadowy figure, shadowy hand, who's looking out at the the earth about to be devoured by antimatter. Right. And uh, hopefully soon we'll find out who this this person is. Mm Mm-hmm. But for now, that ends issue two of Crisis on Infinite Earths. And begins... Accolades! Accolades. All right, so are you ready for accolades? Yeah, accolades. So starting with best line? Sure. What's yours? Mine is when Anthro has saved 
um, his entire village from the impeding threat of the mammoths, uh-huh. he says that they'll serve or they'll have a, a celebration in his honor and says, and I quote, they'll serve all my favorite foods. <laughs> I liked that too. Which kind of, I'm like, well, what, like, what are the varieties here? It's like, oh, sweet mammoth meat <laughs> and berries. What we always have. So my best line um, was something said by Simon mm-hmm. as Geoforce kind of grabs him and uh, Simon says, unhand me, you stupid poltron or pol- I probably should have looked up the pronunciation. I think it's poltroon. poltroon. Yeah. yeah. Unhand me, you stupid poltroon. It, I, now I'm going to ruin this a little bit. That was my silly villainy. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. It's just sometimes those things overlap. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we enjoy the silly lines, so. Right. Poltrine, I guess it means like. It's, it's an archaic term for an utter coward. Right. It's funny that Simon uses archaic terms since he, I think he's a contemporary. You know. Whatever. Villains. <laughs> All right. Well, do we want to just go on to your silly villainy then? Okay. Yeah. Since that was your sil- silly villainy, I guess we can talk about. Um, my silly villainy, and gosh, I didn't even realize I when I was doing my typed Crusher Creel Award for silly villainy, it auto corrected to Crowley Creek. <laughs> Crowley Creek Award for silly villainy. Um, and I gave this to the Joker for his little exchange with Batman after he sprays him with the goo, and he's like, "Oh, you got yourself in a sticky situation. Well, don't worry, I've got." Uh, 45 caliber remedy my mother sold me on her deathbed. <laughs> so silly. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I mean, the whole little Joker exchange for that line, too, I was just like, that's so ridiculous. I love it. Yeah. All right, so circle back to Greatest Hero. Sure. Mine is Obsidian for his quick thinking and enshrouding Arian in himself to sort of save the day against Psycho Pirate. That was a good heroic act. Yeah. <laughs> Mine, uh, mine was Batman for his, his sleuthing. I just, I loved that whole Batman Joker section. That was probably one of my favorite parts of the comic. Yeah, you might even say that it's a, one of the coolest moments. Oh, no! <laughs> Which this one was my coolest moment. It was Batman figuring out Joker's clue because that stuff is always so out there. Like, it's very much like, it's almost like a Rube Goldberg machine of, like, getting to where he's like, well, and then I got this thing. And this pointed at this, which I inferred this, and blah, 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 and I got here. So, funny story about my coolest moment. Yes. It involved Obsidian and Arian <laughs> fighting Psycho Pirate. Uh, and mm. thought that they did some good stuff there. Arian with his magic and Obsidian, you know. Shrouding him. Uh-huh. Wow, we just kind of... Our, our accolades this week are all wrapped up in each other. They really are. Because my best line is, your silly villainy. My silly villainy was your coolest moment. Mm-hmm. My greatest hero was your... Yeah, yeah. It's all wrapped up. It's just all wrapped up. No Daily Doubles, though. No, no. Just all almost in different categories. It's <laughs> so funny. Uh, all right. So thank you, listeners, for being patient. I know this week's episode is late by a week. I was battling a pretty gnarly cold and would have sounded just awful and coughed through most of the episode. So I, I promise you, you, you're glad that, uh, we waited. Yeah. You would have unsubscribed all the gurgly hacking noises. I don't know. Maybe it would have been like a really Phoebe from friends moment. And you guys would have been like, Oh gosh, she sounds so much better sick. (laughs) Um, maybe, I don't think so, but I still probably would have been coughing and like blowing my nose through the whole thing. Yeah. It would have been no good. Uh, so we will have another episode coming out in a week. We're not delaying our, our whole schedule. So hopefully we'll be back on track, um, starting next week, October 30th. We should have another episode coming out. I'm sad that we cannot make it Halloween themed, but that's okay. I mean, we could play spooky music. Crisis on Infinite Earths! If you guys wanted to, or before we before we get going, if you wanted to contact us on social media, you could follow us on at Chris's Pod on Twitter um, and on Facebook. Mm-hmm. We you can email us on Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail dot com, and we um, always love hearing from you. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher, 
iTunes or I guess almost anywhere you could get podcasts. Mm-hmm. Even even on Facebook, we have we have a Facebook review or two. Right for people who do not use iTunes, and I I literally only got iTunes so we could put our podcast on it. So I completely understand that. <laughs> um, we appreciate all of you listening and commenting and liking everything. It's really nice to know that even though we have a very small readership, that it is a very nice one. Mm-hmm. So, until next time. Slay your enemies, and all you desire shall be yours.